Thank you for joining me for episode number 42 of Kansas City Food Memories. Remember, this is a taped presentation of a live radio show, so do not call or text in during the show when prompted. Today's episode, I am joined by Doug Frost, Master Sommelier and Master of Wine, and Jasper Roble of Jasper's Restaurant. Uh, we engaged in a conversation talking about the impact of Gus Reedy, the owner and operator of the first French restaurant in Kansas City, and also some of the food styles operate around the world. This is a great conversation. Sit back and enjoy. Thank you. Well, good morning. This is Robert Dunsing, and thank you for tuning in today to Kansas City Food Memories. We're live every Saturday at 10 a.m. to take you on a stroll down memory lane. Most of the time, I'll be live on the radio, but if not, if I'm preempted by Missouri football, I'll be live at Best Regards Bakery, which will be live streamed on uh, Facebook, Facebook Live. So Kansas City history, which is interesting, Kansas City is where history comes alive. If you look at the last two weeks, we had a Stevenson's dinner at Jasper's. We had the new Plaza 3 Steakhouse just did a pop-up, or they're still doing it. I think today's the last day down at the bar in Prairie Village, and that was amazing as well. And then last night, Marilyn May was back. Now, if you remember back, I had a show in March with uh, Jim Eddy, and Marilyn May called in, and that was just absolutely fantastic. And at the time, I, I I told Marilyn, I said, if you ever, or I said, when you next come back to Kansas City, I said, I'll save you a seat and you'll have an open mic for an entire hour. And she said at the time, she goes, well, you know, I haven't done a concert in Kansas City for too long. I should look into that. Well, look into it. She did. So the uh, she was at, at the um, Folly last night. And that was um, one of my uh, listeners uh, gave me tickets to that. And that was absolutely amazing to see an an icon like that live perform live is just the magic and everything is just you have to to see it to experience it so Marilyn, if you're out there listening uh that offer still sets so you can call in call in to 913-586-7798 and we will cancel any anything else i had planned for today's show you're always welcome here so Marilyn, if you're listening call in to 913-586-7798 Chris, the board op, will get you set up, and we'll get you right live on the air. And it's um that was I to to I don't even uh, Doug, you could probably help me. It's what can you say beyond saying that somebody's a living legend that really captures it? Well, yeah, no, I, I think oh, that's true. Uh, you need to turn your button on. There you go. Yeah, I think that's true. But um, the uh, you know I think the thing about a, a living legend is. It, it suggests, and, and with Marilyn's um, amazing career, uh, both here and, and abroad and, you know, throughout the, the country, um, it, it's what she's done in the past that makes somebody a living legend. The thing is, the, the living part of it is, is what's so uh, remarkable because the woman is still dynamic and, and funny and, and understands music at a level, I think, that the rest of us um, can, can only, you know, hope to understand portions of it. And and so she brings something to her her performances. I mean, I haven't seen the the, the woman in in a long time, which which sucks. I I couldn't uh, yeah you know I couldn't fit the concerts uh, today's concert and last night's concert into into my schedule and and um, that sucks because like you said you're watching a living legend, but at the same time I think that the real thing is you're getting to see an exciting, wonderful concert, dynamic musicians performing together in a way yeah. that. I mean that that's the beauty of of for me of live music is watching different personalities meld their their skills and their talents and and in real time doing things 
you know, it's not a record. It's it's people making music together that is always going to be the most exciting yeah. part of what, what performance can be. Well, you know, you've met a lot more people than I have that are true masters at their craft. But to have somebody who is a truly master of craft but is humble, kind, and wants to share that with, with everybody. And it's just she clearly owned the room last night. Oh, I bet. You know, and the, the, the band behind her, I mean, she had worked with all of them for a number of years. And, you know, you could tell they were watching out for her. But she was, she, uh, I'll just put it this way, she messed with them. <laughs> so, you know, did. so she, you know, she would, <laughs> they had to be, uh, they had to be on their toes, yeah. you know, and it was just, you know, the, she had challenged them to do, maybe it was scripted out ahead of time, but I doubt it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're up, up there having fun in real time. Oh, oh, without a doubt, you know, and it's just a piano player, you know, she kept pushing his buttons and the sax player and the, and the, the drummer. It was just, it was, it was very entertaining to watch, and it was just, I was in awe. It was one of those things that there were a few people that were taking pictures and video, but I didn't want to because I didn't want to miss anything. Exactly. It just interferes. That always makes me crazy that somebody sticks a, a iPhone up in front of their yeah. face, which often means they're, it's up in front of your you know, uh, view shed as well, and, and it's like, you know, I just want to take this in. Yeah. You know, somebody will make a recording of it. Fine. Look at a recording later, but... The, the point is to enjoy and, and to see human beings working together in, in, you know, live in front of you. You don't want to miss that. That's yep. the part of it. Not, you know, look, I took a picture. It's like, okay, yeah, you and everybody else, who cares? Yeah. How was it? How did yeah. it affect I mean, you as a person? Take, take it in and enjoy it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Save, save it that way. Yeah. All right. So, um, listener may be wondering, this is Doug Frost, world famous sommelier, master of wine. But the reason you're back is that I popped a question uh, to you live on the air without giving you time to prepare. And I asked, the question I asked was, what restaurant do you really miss that had a huge impact on the restaurant scene as it is today? And you paused for maybe just a second or two and you said, and you, and you clearly, and who did you say? La Bona Bears. Yeah. yeah. I was like Gus Reedy at La Bona Bears. Yeah. Um, birthed so many other uh, people's careers and did so, you know, willingly. I mean, not willingly, intentionally, I guess is, yeah. is the better way to put it. Somebody like Susie Feininger or, 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 you know, Kent Rathman or people like that. Um, I mean, those people have had an impact upon the, the national culinary conversation. And they were trained by Gus. And, and, and I'm sure there's a million other people as well. You know, I was, um, I was a waiter. So um, I, I rarely, I was about to say I never worked in the kitchen. No, I had to work in the kitchen sometimes um, in, in some of my other roles. But uh, very briefly, you know, I was just there because somebody's missing. It's like frost, get on the broiler, yeah. you know, sort of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, my my view of, of the restaurant scene is always front of the house. Um, and that was not really where Gus was. Yeah. But Gus was so kind and so... So how did you meet Gus? Did you work with him? No, or I never got to, as, I never as, got to work with as, Gus. As a yeah. sommelier. I, I, I went to La Bona Berge because that was the place you had to go to. I okay. mean, that was a place where you were going to see the highest level of cooking in the city. Um, uh, you know, certainly it, it, in terms of the classics, that's where you were going to go and, and, and find okay. out what those classics were supposed to be like. Right. And the wine scene there, um, my first... Uh, mentor, I, 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 well, you know, I guess maybe my third mentor uh, was a guy named Mike Corso, um, and Corso was his, his wine steward. And so, uh, you know, knowing that Corso was there and, and, and uh, it was just, it was a French wine place. And that was itself very unusual in, in Kansas City in yeah. those days. All right. Well, okay. Um, Chris, let's go ahead and pull a special guest on the line. 
Jasper, are you there? I am here. And, oh. man, oh, man, you got some memories going on, Mr. Doug Frost. <laughs> hey, Jay, how are you, man? Well, I wish I was in the studio with you. Robert asked me over a month ago to come on, and I checked my calendar, but unfortunately I didn't know I had a cooking class at noon today, and <laughs> I've been here since about 8 o'clock prepping for it. And Jasper, I'll take you floor. any way I can. This will not be a problem at all. So for the listeners, this is going to be an interesting hour. I could probably walk out of the room and leave, and I will miss a beat here. So, so, so Jasper, how did how did Gus come up in conversation between us? What did he? What? How did he impact you? Well, to be honest with you, I go way back to Gus, back in the uh, the late sixties with my father when he first opened. La Bona Bears up in North Kansas City. Even before then, he was a chef in Brookside at Chateaubriand. But Gus and my father would get together, and, of course, uh, Laverne, his wife, and my mom, and my dad would visit them at the restaurant. He would come in on his night off, and a great relationship began. I was so fortunate to mentor under Gus and um, not learn his secrets, but his style in the kitchen, probably the first French chef that I had met. And it was history ever since then. And where was that? Was that at the well, Carriage Club? I came along a little later, yeah. So uh, when I started my uh, career in cooking, uh, I went to the Carriage Club. And, oh, my God, I watched this man in action in this kitchen. Carriage Club has a beautiful kitchen. And, wow, I was just, like, overwhelmed. I'd always worked with Manuel Cervantes, my father's chef. And around the country I worked, and in Italy and uh, in, in Milan and in Venice and Harry's, you know, and I could name the places. But um, coming back home and my father, you know, called up Gus and working with them, watching this man make souffles in the middle of a 150-person uh, dinner rush, this man amazed me from day one. So Jasper, it's it's interesting to me that you know you come from a family of just amazing chefs, you know, great business things like that, but yet you credit the the influence of Gus on you and your life. What's the big difference for us lay people? What would be the biggest difference between the French style of cooking and the Italian still style of cooking that you did before? Well, you know, in Italy we have twenty regions, okay? So you have in the twenty regions. Imagine uh, if you're in Sicily. And you have the city of Palermo. But then you have the little counties in between, the pro, the provinces, you know. So you may have an Italian pasta dish prepared in one city, one province, one little area. And you go 15 miles away, and it's done completely different. Take my sister-in-law's uh, uh, cannolis that she makes. And they're from a small little town called Scusa Scrapini in Sicily. My family is from Jubilina. It is about as far as uh, my restaurant on seventy on the 103rd state line to probably uh, where you're at the radio station, okay, right now. Completely different style of cannolis. I love the way they make their cannolis there. But in, in France, okay, are you ready for this? There is only one way. You have your five mother sauces. You have the cuisine of a scoffier. You have one way of doing things. You make Bordelais one way. You make... Hollandaise one way. You know, you make these these dishes 
uh, beef bourguignon one way, soup a l'oignon, you make it one way, and that's it. In Italy, we get to play games, but we also have a lot of history behind the dishes that also give us a little leeway. Hmm. Well, you know, as as an American cook or chef, you know, I, I, I'm almost jealous of that, you know, the history. And I think but what we do and what I do, you know, I, I study everybody. I think Jim Eddy called, um, called in a couple weeks ago and he said, you take one idea, it's theft. If you take 10 ideas, it's research. Exactly. Ah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. You know where he got that at? From Gilbert Robinson, from uh, yep. from Paul, from Paul Robinson and uh, and Joe Gilbert, the Masters. Yep, that's the, that, that was the context it came up in. That's why he called in. So, I mean, what, so what influence did you did, did did that have on you? I mean, what what really impressed you on that? I think I think probably, and 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 Gus's biggest influence on me uh, was mise en place and mm. being prepared. And I don't care. If you have 20 people for dinner or if you have 200 covers for dinner that evening, having everything mise en place in place and your prep work ready. I'm not talking about pre-cooking food. Right. I'm talking being prepared. And, and Doug will tell you this from being in the kitchen so many years. You know, if you mess up one thing that you're not ready for, it's a trickle-down effect. But when you're ready, you could serve 250 people with your eyes closed with a good crew. I mean – you know, that's just the way that's the way we were trained. And that's what I learned from Gus more than anything about training and how he approached his not only his customers in the dining room, because Gus wasn't a big man in the dining room. He didn't go out in the dining room a lot. You didn't have time back then to play games like that, like we do. I call that playing games right now. <laughs> I, I get older, I get to be in the dining room. Gus was back in that kitchen 12 hours a day. So people like me now today, I put in a little bit of my time in the kitchen. Uh, and I, I'm, I rely on my nephews and great nephews, but, um, you know, being ready. And that's a big term around here at the restaurant. Stay ready with Jasper because they know when I come in that kitchen at eight o'clock and say, table four, ask for Zeppelis. I need to get ready. They have the bowls ready. They have my yeast, my everything ready for me to make a batch in, in six minutes. Yep. So that, that's a common term around here. And they learned that from me from being prepared. They've been here since they've been here since seven o'clock this morning. I got. I got to get here a little late. I got here at eight. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm in total agreement because at, at my place, I call it systems. You know, it's all about systems. You can make something amazing one time. I don't care. If you, if you don't have it fully documented, know exactly what you did, it's a fluke, and I don't care. It's, it has we to be repeatable. Great we, food Bible, has to be repeatable. You've seen the Bible here in the office. Oh, the yeah. And those recipes last night, I had to go back to the, and get a recipe out because something was a matter. I tasted the bechamel sauce and something, I don't know, something was messing with it. I don't know what the difference was. The, the milk, I don't know, the butter fat in the milk or something. And I wrote the recipe down, took a photo of it again. And my chef and I went in the corner and we made another batch. I wouldn't accept the batch that we made. That hasn't happened in 25 years with the bechamel. Hmm. But something was different in it. Yep. I don't know what. It came out perfect the second time. We followed exact measurements. Well, you know, if you look at sushi chefs, you know, in Japan, it's kind of the same thing that an apprentice in the kitchen has to spend, what, what is it, Doug, like two years, three years cooking rice. I mean, that's all that they're allowed to do is to cook the sushi rice because there's so much involved to get it absolutely perfect. And I've heard kind of with French kitchens, it's the same way. You know, you don't get to advance to other things until you master, you know, the, the, the mother sauce number one. Can I tell you something? Let me tell you this. Sure. 
I'll never forget Gus Ritty and my father having that conversation. And this was later on in life. And tattoo had just started coming around about 1980 or 81. You remember tattoos? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And my dad and Gus were talking, and Gus said, here's a gentleman who has a French background. Vietnamese, Japanese, Asian background also. You meld these two together, and you're going to have one of the most amazing chefs. These two, And today, that still holds true. If you have not only a woman in your kitchen, I'll tell you that right now, it's a whole other subject. But also, you have a Japanese-French chef, forget about it, man. That place is going to roll. The cuisine, the, the finesse, I mean, just everything is just absolute, always perfect. You would go to Tatsu's, those sauces never changed in 40 years that he was there. Never once did I ever have a sauce that was different with Tatsu or a plate. The presentation, it looked like a picture. Every single dish was exactly the same. Yeah, I think, I, I really do think, you know, it's all about those, understanding those foundational sauces and understanding that foundation. I, I that sort of, you know, uh, forgive me, Jay, for, you know, veering off for a second, but I, no, but I think yeah. it speaks, I think it speaks to the same idea, which is years ago, I got to, you know, have dinner at the, that what was then regarded as the greatest restaurant on the planet, Al Bui, uh, you know, in Spain. And, and I was fortunate enough that, that Ferran Adria, the owner chef came out at, to speak with us. And you know this is this is the place for those who who don't know Alibui. This was the place that invented foams and molecular uh, cuisine, and 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 you know all the all the crazy wacky stuff that has happened. And of course, we're marveling over the thirty two courses that that he's uh, throwing at us and the crazy stuff in front of us. You know the the caviar that's made out of cantaloupe melon, you know cantaloupe juice, and all the crazy things that are happening there. And and we asked about it, and he got thoughtful for a second, and he said, "We are." And, and I'm going to badly paraphrase, but he said, "We are conscious of the fact that we have added many ideas to, to to you know the culinary world, but many people have lost sight of understanding the foundations of cooking. They've fallen in love with these other techniques that we've created." And it means nothing if you don't understand the foundation of what you're doing. And it was one of those, uh, you know, for that man to say that, the guy who, who really, um, you know, moved uh, the culinary word, world in so many crazy directions, I thought was really critical. He was, you know, being self-critical and, and saying that, that it's so important for people to understand whether it's whether we want to call it systems or the Escoffier method or the military precision of a kitchen or whatever it is, if you don't have that it's all bullshit. I'm sorry. It really is. You you said it right there, and that's just the thing today. You know, I think when we opened up in 1998, Doug, you remember that when we sold oh, yeah. uh, Jack on 75th, we opened up here. I was criticized. My dad wasn't here any longer. He passed away. And people looked at our menu and said, is he kidding? Putting lasagna back on the menu next <laughs> to Ville Don Salvatore and Chateaubriand? What's going on here? And then all of a sudden, and I told you this before, uh, Robert, all of a sudden 9-11 hit in 2001, and everybody wanted to go back in time. They wanted to go, they wanted the comfort food, yeah. whether it was American comfort food or Italian or French. And those same critics came back here, uh, one of them very, very well-known around the country, a, a food writer, and said, this is what's happening around the country. This is the hottest thing now. We want this again. So I think we came full circle. But I got to tell you, Doug, do you remember 
uh, a chef uh, called Fernand Quant, Monsieur oh, Quant. Of course, yes. Oh, my God. I mean, I was lucky in 1972 at the age of 10 years old to meet Monsieur Quant. Wow. The divine, the divine creator, you know? Yeah. And this man drank magnums of champagne for breakfast along with <laughs> He weighed over 400 pounds. Oh, my God. But he used to say something. Every morning, a chef must start again at zero with nothing on the stove. That is the real cuisine. Oh, yeah. And perfection uh, is lots of little things done well. And that's where it's all. And I, I think of that all the time. And, I mean, other than him starting off with a, uh, a little bit of champagne in the morning, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and a couple of glasses in between, the man down in, uh, in France knew what he was talking about. And we all still today, my, chefs like Michael Smith and myself mm-hmm. and Colby goes, you know, we, we look up to those chefs. But I don't know about the younger kids. They all want to make a mark yeah. with their restaurants. And it's, some things work and some things don't. Go back to the basics, guys. Right. That's, that's what I try telling everybody. Yeah, ma- master the simple tasks. I mean, think about it. think of uh, one of your most popular dishes at your restaurant is not really that complicated with fifty-two ingredients. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, seriously, for non-plant, well, I still remember the quote: "A Bernays sauce." He would say, "It's just a simple egg yolk, shallot, a little tarragon vinegar, and butter." But it takes years of practice, and you're mastering one simple sauce, just like you said about the Japanese with doing the rice in the kitchen. Do one dish and do it well. You don't need 500 dishes on a menu. That's a fact. Yeah, no, you're quite right about that. You know, speaking of uh, simplicity, um, uh, Jasper, don't don't hate me for this, but Brendan and I were just in, in Venice last week and you didn't so, tell me that you're going there. Come on. I know. I'm sorry. Jasper, <laughs> was, Jasper would have given you a list of places to go and well, people to visit. Well, that's the thing. You know, I, I, it, it was literally a day and a half. So, um, but I got to have Vongole. And, uh, you know, for me, it's just like, I just want to go have my linguine and clams, that's you know. I, and, and and it's the thing that, for me, the beauty of, of Italian food is that it, it kind of so often pushes away all the glamour and all the you know, the, 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 you know, bells and whistles and says, but look, these ingredients are perfect. Taste them. And it was, I mean, you just feel like you're just drinking, you know, eating a piece of the ocean and this perfect linguine and just, yeah, I was, I was so happy. I was like, Brenda, Brenda was like, seriously, that's, that's all you want. I'm like, I just came here for Frongole. (laughs) That's that's why I'm here. (laughs) Robert, Robert, you and I've had these conversations also, you know, five or six ingredients, you don't need 40 ingredients. In a dish. And well, that's you por- know, you porchetta does, but most dishes do not. Oh, this man. Now, Doug, have <laughs> you had his porchetta? I'm going to brag again. You got me going again. I have not. Is, I've been cheated. This is not a commercial. I've been to the Mecca. I've been to the man who makes probably the best porchetta in the world, the famous butcher of Panzano, Dario Ciccini. Mm. I'm telling you, Robert, I'll say to you on the radio, I hope you're prepared again today. <laughs> we didn't talk about this earlier. This porchetta, I'll put up against any porchetta I've ever had. And your pastrami that you made me two weeks ago, yeah, I'll put up against the pastrami I had at Blackowitz's this uh, past Monday morning. Wow! For early breakfast and lunch that I had in in Florida, which is probably the best pastrami in Florida. Uh, well, well, well. Thank you for that. I, w- I wasn't fishing for that. It was just. It's, it's funny you talk about the the simplicity of some dishes. Like your, I don't know if it's your most famous dish, but your um, shrimp. A la, how do you pronounce 11, it? 
The name is incorrect, but it's the most famous dish here. Okay, what is it? Well, no, it's called shrimp lebernese. You said it. You said it, but it was supposed to be scampi alla piemontese. But my father could not. Yeah, that's too hard to say. Back in 1956, <laughs> Val Galler was the printer, and my dad could not go back to him and tell me print me 200 more menus. So when you go to Laverna, Italy, and you order Scampiella Lebernese, it's in a red sauce. Okay. Like it's supposed to be. But my dad would not change the menu, not, and I still today, I will not change the recipe or the menu. Only six people have had that recipe since 1960, I think 1960-something. All right, it, Jasper, how many ingredients are in that dish? Come on, let me see. Uh, hmm, 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 hmm. Five, no, five, uh, not including salt. Okay, so five go. ingredients, but it is 100% technique. And one of those is parsley. <laughs> <laughs> see, I mean, that's that's what amazes me, though. It's just people that, you know, you and I, we both collect cookbooks, but the funny part is we both know that's really useless. because oh, the, exactly. I mean, you you, talk, you asked Doug that about wine. I mean, I mean... Doug, today has the wine. I'm gonna ask. Put the question on you. Has you know prepare you know making wine. We still you still make it the same way it was made two thousand years ago. Yeah, essentially. I I, mean, I was do, given a talk yesterday at the uh, you know World War One Memorial and Museum, and it was really about I I, I called the, the the talk the inventions of wine, and and then tried to show you know here's video of me stomping grapes. Okay, <laughs> we're we're making wine in essentially it and. and you know, the same way that we have for millennia. And, and in truth, the only thing, the only innovations that really exist out there is what's the vessel? What's the vessel made from? You know, what kind of barrel are you using? Or you using this 20th century invention called stainless steel? Um, you know, how do you change the temperature of your fermentation or the temperature of the, the cellar? And, and everything else is basically the same way it's always been done. Squish some grapes, let nature take its course. So it's the quality of the ingredients and technique. Always, it's always going to come down to that. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's essentially, it's it's grapes. I mean, come on. I mean, that's, <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right, Jay. It's grapes. So, what when you went when you studied under Gus and learned kind of from him and the French technique and all that kind of stuff? Feels the biggest thing that you gained from that is what philosophical. The I think so. I mean, the recipes are the same. The you know the the. French recipes always have stayed the same, but watching him how, and, and really a, a good chef, when to add the butter to finish your sauce. And I just gave you one of the secrets to shrimp lavernaise. Mm-hmm. But what point do you add it where it doesn't become separated? Uh, it becomes part of the sauce uh, at the right temperature and how to judge that temperature. Because we're cooking in my kitchen, it's an Italian kitchen. We're cooking on French flat tops. Because I could, you've been in my kitchen. Because I could put 60, 70 pans on our stoves at one time. Or on a regular stove, you have six burners, and that's it. So <laughs> you have to know those temperatures on your stove. You, it's like your family. You're with your family, you know. But you're with your kitchen too, and you're on that stove, and it's like your brother. You know, you're with them day and night. At least I am. I don't know, Doug, is that good or bad with Leonard? But. <laughs> <laughs> He's in, he's in Florida right now, so I could talk about him right now. That's right. I'm, he's I'm, he's not listening. Leonard, yeah, Leonard I'm can't a, hear I'm us. I'm at the helm of the, uh, of the restaurant right now. <laughs> but uh, finally, I'm 61 years old. But, um, you know, and, and working with Gus, you learn those things. I mean, sometimes I get into the habit. I rush things. You know why? Because I'm a line cook. Yeah, executive chef, 
all those big names. I'm a line cook when it comes down to it. Yes, I burn a grilled cheese sandwich once in a while, you know, for myself. I don't really care. But, um, you know, watching him at the right time when to do things and when to finish the dish and when it's properly executed. Because we all use the same ingredients. Yes, we buy finer butters. You, you of all people, Robert, we had a conversation about you yesterday and about your ingredients that you use and the chocolate and the butter that you insist on. It's more expensive, and that's why our products are more expensive. We're not, we're not you know, a fast food place. But um, how those are blended in there, how they're, how, they're, how they're put together, and watching a chef like Gus, it all comes together and perfection at the end. And that's what it was. And no, no dish will come out of the kitchen that's not perfect. And that's why my nephews are in training. My great nephew, Paul, is now in the kitchen, and he is on the other side of the line. And he's actually, actually, every dish that comes out of the kitchen five nights of the week, my other nephew does it the other night, uh, is checked by a Mirabli. We call it myth, Mirabli in the house. You've heard that before. <laughs> we make mistakes. Come on. You serve 250 people a night, you're going to have a mistake once in a while. Hopefully, 99.9% of the time, we catch that mistake before it goes out. Sure. All right, hold on a second. Uh, so, Doug, um, how did how did you get to know Gus? Well, I, as I say, the, the fact that, uh, I mean, it was, uh, La Bona Berge was a place that you wanted to go. You'd have to save up to do it. But it was like when you were there, you knew you were you were tasting the the real stuff, the legitimate right. interpretation of, of these dishes. Right. And 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 for me, of course, uh, because wine was always the thing that that drove me as much as as the food. I was like, oh my god, they have you know this wine. I right. never, I never get to see this. So I mean, and it was affordable. And 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 really, then there was kind of a second win when La Bonaberge moved downtown. Right. And Mike Corso. Um, started working there, I was like, I had to go there because Mike was one of my earliest mentors. And I'm like, oh, my God, Mike's in charge of the wine program here? Right. Oh, my God. You know, Gus is going to let him put something well, crazy together. And he did. There were amazing wines on the list. And, well, and I ask, didn't have let, to spend a fortune to, to drink yeah. and eat great. All right. Let me ask you this. So you started there as a consumer, you yes. know, just loving the food. Very much, yeah. You, uh, that was the early years when you were developing your passion for wine. Yes. And so you, you weren't doing it. Were you doing it professionally yet? Yes. We're moving towards, okay. Yeah, I, I started it at uh, Plaza 3 right after I moved uh, to, to uh, well, not right after I moved to KC, uh, about a year and a half after I moved to KC. Okay. And um, at P3, uh, uh, John Scupney was my first mentor, yeah. took me to my first wine okay. tasting. And and then by the time I started uh, going to these wine tastings, I met people like Corso yeah. um, and, and a bunch of other you know, wonderful so, folks. And, w- and at what point did you actually get to meet Gus, and what was that like? That was at the restaurant, but yeah. exactly as we you know have been saying, Gus was not a front of the house guy. Yeah. So it was it was more an issue of you know, hey Mike, can I can I at least meet Gus? You know, yeah. so Mike would introduce me, and you'd see Gus around at at events or such. Um, but yeah, he was just he was that was not his. He he was one of those creatures that wants to be back in the kitchen doing doing what he does, and and you. Frankly, as a restaurant professional, you really respect that because yeah. that's he's he's not about the glamour; he's about yeah. the hard work, and and it was really obvious. I mean, it, you know, this is a small enough community that we all everybody knew each other, or at least knew of each other, right? Good, good or bad? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the the thing I love about the the business is the the jerks. Everybody knows who the jerks are, so you know, there's no no hiding if you're a jerk. Yeah. But as well, everybody knows who the heroes are, and, and Gus was always considered a hero. Yeah. Well, that's what's yeah. that's what's so interesting to me. I've heard that from so many people. He's mentored uh, restaurateurs that have 
create amazing restaurants, you know, in California, Chicago, New York, you know, other parts of the country. And that's from Kansas City. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, there have been a lot of people who have who I always want to give kudos to who have mentored me. Um, and and I think that Kansas City has uh, is maybe Midwestern enough. I, I hope I can say that and and not be demeaning to the rest of the country. But um, there is more of a collaborative uh, attitude. It's one of the reasons that I have a winery in Walla Walla is it's more collaborative as well. Um, and and I love communities like that. I would not want to be in in uh, a highly competitive, non collaborative uh, environment. And and you know people people uh, uh, secondarily like Gus, but you know uh, J- you know Jasper's dad. I mean, we used to have these amazing lunches at Jasper's. There was oh my god, exactly. We all start howling because we were basically just cackling through through lunch. But you know, we talked about real stuff too. And I think if nothing else, for me. Hanging out at the at the you know the family table with with uh, Jay's dad and and you know Jasper and, and Leonard and everybody and and Mark Hebner again I mean a guy who Hebner quote, didn't talk about normal stuff I'm sorry well there you go that's a good call <laughs> that is a good call he'd slide some normal stuff in but but then uh, pervert it as quickly as he could but you know a guy who worked for me but who was a mentor uh, uh, for me as well you know we, th- there's just so much wisdom that you collect from from the real deal. And, and when you're hanging out with the real deal, it, it really, it, it's great fun for me. I still get a, a, a charge out of that. And sitting at the family table at Jasper's was, was a charge for me because you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm with my people. These are my people. I want to be, I want them to be my people anyway. You know, I want to belong to this, this tribe because I love the tribe of, of real restaurant tours. Yeah. Well, part and, of what I think makes this show has been an interesting journey for me, and I think for a lot of my listeners, because it's you're always insecure about what you have, and you think what's out there is better. But I think the food scene we have in, in Kansas City is absolutely amazing, and it's you know other 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 parts of the country they have a food scene they think they are the best at what they do. Here we always yearn to learn more. So Jasper, when you travel, when was the last time you traveled somewhere without going to a, a class? Without going to a class, yeah. well, this past week, my promise, Lisa, uh, because we were in New Orleans a month ago, and I went to class only because it was a, a group uh, with distinguished restaurants in North America, and they wanted to have a class. But this past week, I was not allowed to talk food. And talk <laughs> <restaurants>. <laughs> Go, Lisa. <laughs> Lisa you, need, you need to relax before the season hits, and uh, I think I did. But to be honest with you, that's just me. I mean – you know, I'll go somewhere, and then I, unfortunately, I fall into it. I, I, I can't help myself, and I'm online looking for something. I'll be driving somewhere. She knows when the car makes a U-turn. She just shakes her head and says, here we go. <laughs> well, but that's what I love about you, Jasper. It's just, I mean, you have an amazing talent and skills already in the library of recipes and techniques, and you've seen it all. But anytime you travel a different part of the country, you share some of the, the you, you'll go, when you were in New Orleans, where did you, uh, you took a couple different classes. I did only because I wanted to refresh myself because I'm working with Hen House Market right now, looking for the perfect gumbo mm. uh, along with tip and suits, you know, and I want to perfect it. And my good friend, uh, James Duay, who's a Cajun himself from Homa, taught me how to make gumbo. I lost something with James uh, in the recipe. I can't figure it out. So I went down, you know, to Treme, you know, everybody heard of the movie and all that. 
oh, yeah. in that area, and I found this Cajun down there who gave me some extra tips. I sent it to James, and James said, oh, yeah, baby, I thought I told you that. So <laughs> you're going to see some different things I'm coming up with. You know, you know we're lucky. Uh, Italian cuisine today has not really changed for, you know, 500 years. It really hasn't, some of the basics. But I'm allowed to, with some of these, you know, experiences I have, go back and kind of figure things out a little bit differently and maybe add this or add that. Because here we are in America, we always don't have those same, um, those same um, you know, ingredients. You guys, look at your phones right now. I'm talking to Doug and, uh, and Robert. And you'll see where I'm at right now in my back room at the restaurant because – I'm researching, and I don't mean to change the subject, but about Gus Reedy right now. I'm looking for his menu right now, and um, and of course his uh, a book that had Gus in there where he actually gave away a couple of his recipes. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know that. I mean, I, the book I dragged with me is Andrea Broomfield's one of sure. her books. You know, she Andrea's great, and and uh, oh, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make a pitch to anybody out there if you want to learn more or, or remember more about Kansas City, you know, culinary uh, foundations. Uh, Andrea has a couple of books, and I recommend them. Well, you I have one better. Yeah, I have one menu here. I can't read it. It's mostly in French. I'll give that to Doug. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> I got one copy of that that I've seen. There we go. Well, yeah. Fresh oysters, you know, wheat flesh, uh, uh, you know, uh, smoked salmon. I mean, it's a lot of stuff we'd recognize. Vichyssoise, of course, you know. Uh, onion, uh, scallops, French onion look soup. At the, look at the scallops. Okay, yep. And he taught me something before, you know, this was back in the 70s, uh, of preparing scallops and searing scallops that we didn't do in the Midwest for, I bet, until the uh, until 85 or so, maybe, maybe even 90, where you'd see his recipe. Oh, it's not a recipe. I'm looking for it, and I'm back here in the back room. But... Um, I can't find it, but he gave me a way. I, I learned this this way of doing the scallops and with that pan and with the butter and just a touch of salt. But you don't add the salt until after you sear them because the salt will take the water out of the uh, scallop. Of course, yeah. Something I didn't learn in culinary school, which I probably should have. I don't know if I wasn't paying attention. I didn't have Google back then, so I wasn't on my phone. <laughs> but um Something I did not learn then, but it's the little thing. And that's so simple. Come on. Salt yeah, yeah. and scallop. But the way his technique with this and then the wine, the splice in the pan and reduction, before we even talked about fusion and about, you know, uh, reduce, well, we always reduced our sauces. But his way, and it's kind of like my father. Mm-hmm. And Doug, you can relate to this. Moto Mio, my way. Yeah. There was only one way at Jasper. <laughs> that's a fact, it, man. You didn't work it. <laughs> They can talk all they want around town and this and that, and oh, you can't work there. This is hard. It is. It's it's difficult to work here because if you don't put that chilled fork with every salad, if you don't set that dessert up beforehand, before you bring that card by, these are some of the you know things that we're known for, and some of the things the same way in the kitchen that there's only one way of doing it. That's that goes back to you know 200 years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the, the thing for me, I, I always try to tell people, it, 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 the details matter in a restaurant in a way that maybe other people's, it, it, you know, businesses, where they think details matter, they may not understand how much details matter in the restaurant business because everybody who walks in the door believes themselves, and indeed they probably are, 
food experts. They're experts in what service is supposed to look like. And so, you know, on a typical night, you got 175 people looking at every single frickin' detail. And if one is out of place, they will notice it. They will talk about it. And everything is degraded. And so every detail counts. One single mistake will have, you know, compounding uh, impacts exactly as you said. Uh, Jay, it's like, you know, one thing goes wrong. Well, then, you know, the cascade starts. You said it. And and Doug, I'll tell you this. Leonard and I were allowed to eat together in New Orleans the first time. I'm 61, Leonard is 69. The first time I'd been with my brother Leonard out of the city of Kansas City since 1977. Damn. We got to eat dinner together because my dad, we never traveled together. That's right. There's a reason behind that. So one of us was at the restaurant, but also if something ever happened, the restaurant would continue. Um, So we went to New Orleans and we were sitting there and I'm, I'm just, I'm relaxed. I'm eating at Galatoire's. I said, look at this, you know, and the customer next to us, we were even kind of laughing about it. One thing at the beginning of dinner, he did not like from then on the worst scowl on his face. Oh man. And his wife is sitting there eating a poor lady. Now, here this happened again last week. I'm at Gallagher's. The new Gallagher's Steakhouse opened up from New York, opened in um, in uh, Palm Beach in Boca. And same thing again. The guy said, he sat down and said, we were here a month ago when you first opened up, and we had the worst meal. We're going to rate you again tonight. <laughs> oh, You're wow. a customer. You're with your girlfriend or whatever. She was a lot <laughs> younger than him. Or can't you just enjoy your dinner? Sure, there's a mistake. Maybe the a little bit of drip of water spilled on the plate or you know, or the server didn't remove the plate properly or something, or come on, just sit back and relax. That's the, the definition. And Doug, you know this, Robert, you know this, the definition of a restaurant means it takes back to the Latin time, the Latin one, the first Latin words, it means to restore. Yes. And that's our job. You come in, we restore you. We put a drink in front of you. We put a little bit of bread. We break bread together. And then the meal starts. And just, you know, there's going to be mistakes. There's mistakes at home. If you criticize your wife when, you know, when the when the meatloaf is not, you know, the sauce isn't perfect or something like that, come on. Just enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I'm, Jasper, I want to ask you something. So, you know, the French, like you said, the, the French consider there's one way of doing things. In Italy, there's how many different distinct styles of, of cooking do you think there are in Italy? Oh, my God, you have 20 regions. So, of course, if you're in uh, the Cucina Abruzzi, the, the Cucina Nabolitan from Naples. So uh, you've Sicily. been to all those regions, right? I've been to 19. I have not been. Doug, you told me about this before. Didn't you visit Alta Alge one time? You, visit, you visited many times. Uh, well, no, I've, I've only... Uh, barely seen Alto Adige and and I really need to spend time there because it you know it's as you say it's it's more you know central european and and germanic than in, than it is you know classic italian people are walking around you know blue eyed and blonde haired and you're like wait where in italy are we you know yeah, exactly that's the only place i think we may have driven through it and that was it with tony may and and gri our group but we didn't stay there we didn't have dinner there so but you go to each different region and you have the pasta 20 different ways. And not only 20 different ways, you have more than 20 different ways. You have, I'll tell you this, you have 20 regions. You may have a dish 300 different ways. Ravioli right. Lucchese, I'm making that say at a cooking school here. Uh, Ravioli Lucchese is made 10 different ways within a 15, 20-mile uh, uh, area in, in, uh, in Italy, in Luca, Italy. Because, see, I, I, t- in my, my untrained, un, uh, non-professional viewpoint, that's the beauty of America. 
you know, we kind of we cherry pick. We look at what other places have done. We're not bound to tradition, so we can try combining different ways. Now, if you look oh. at your your famous pasta dish with five ingredients, how many distinctive dishes could you make with those exact five ingredients? Well, you know, you're you're hitting there something there because it's like giving a, a chef a recipe. You give you give five different chefs uh, the same recipe in the kitchen. You're going to see five different ways. Today, you will. Um, Thirty years ago, you have those five ingredients. It's going to be prepared one way. Uh, presentation. I'm not talking about that. But uh, today, you know, you can a lot of different. I mean, you talk about shrimp as a main ingredient. You talk about butter as a main ingredient. Um, you take that, and you can go with 20 different ways right. of preparing it, just with this addition of a different wine or something like that. So. So I, I, I love that part of it, though. I mean, master that's, that's where you master your craft. I mean, that's kind of where, you know, going full circle, Marilyn May. You know, she's singing uh-huh. entertainer, but, I mean, she could she could just stand up there and just go any direction she wanted to, and it would be absolutely wonderful. And you do the same thing with food. Well, I heard you talking about Marilyn. Oh. And now, when I was growing up, of course, she lived across the street from me in Foxcroft out in 112th Street with Jerry Jabin. Oh, the memories. I mean, wow. when I was a kid, you know, yeah, come on. How do you, you live right across the street from her, but I never saw her, never, she never sang or anything like that, but she used to come to the restaurant often also with Jerry. So good memories there. Not well, bad. She told the story um, last night at the concert that during COVID, that because uh, there's no gigs or anything to do, that somebody set up a concert in the driveway. How about that? Yeah. That was, I mean, that was hilarious. Yeah. She One t- thing I regret. And my mama didn't get, I promised my mama uh, that I would take her to, to see her. And then my mama passed away, but uh, she would have gone crazy to see Marilyn. And the notes they used to send back and forth to each other and being across the street, just such great memories. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sorry she didn't get to, to see her yeah, either. That's a shame. On. So, um, yeah, we're getting, about- we're running out of time already. So uh, going back to Russ, Jasper, is there, what's the important lesson that other restaurant owners today could take away from Gus? Well, I think um, there's no looking at a clock, number one. The only time you look at clock uh, is how long you have to put that dish out, how many more minutes you have until they call the pickup. Um, we don't look at hours. We don't know. We don't know. Hello? Yeah, you're good. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't look at, uh, you don't look at time. And I think if more and more and cook came into the restaurant today and decided here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn what it takes me 50 hours, and I'm not worried about working overtime or anything like that. I'd look at the I'd look at the clock. I'll be honest with you. When I was in the kitchen at uh, at Carrots Club with Gus, and it's 10:30 at night, I had no idea it was 10:30 at night. I'll tell you that right now. Hmm. You get into it, and that, that's your life, and that's that's this is what you want. So that's one thing I learned from him was, you know what, the night's over when that last dish is served. That's when the, that's yep. when the night is over. Right. And you don't say, well, I'm going to get out here by 8 o'clock. I hope, yep. hope we don't have anybody. I think that's that's the problem also. You know, ask what time do we close? How many more people we have left to serve? All right, Jasper. Okay, I do look at the clock, and I know you have a radio show that you got to go uh, get ready to do. So, Jasper. Eight minutes. So, eight minutes. I'm good. And well, a cooking class. Yeah. All right, Jasper. So, um, so you go get ready to do that. So, you have a radio show you've had for what, 17 years now? Yes. yes called sir. Live. 
from Jasper's Kitchen. So for people that want to listen to that, you've changed frequencies. Where is your show now located at? So what's great about it, you know, we're always on KCMO Talk Radio. We still are, but now it's on FM, and it's 95. So you can uh, you can get on it right now. And um, after your show, of course, and after the news, of course. Yeah. But I am honored. And, Doug, I, the three of us need to sit here at Jasper's at the family table and have lunch soon. I promise you. I mean, I- that's I'm that's, down. That's, I, we, we've missed it. And, and I can't wait to see you again. And, and, you know, it's always a treat to sit there and have you bring stuff to the, to the table. Uh, as you can imagine, everybody listening is jealous as hell, but it's worth doing people. I'm telling you, you go, go do that. Well, I, I, I think we just made reservations for my birthday dinner at your place. You got it, buddy. Food so, so, memories. That's what it's all about, Robert. Yep. You're in the, you're in the right direction. This is what I love. And I wish you many, many more years of this and Jerry, please. Uh, give her a big hug for me. And Lisa just sent me a text while I'm on the phone with you doing the interview. Can he please get the mushroom barley recipe that the old Jewish delicatessens uh, have? So I, 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 I saw that. I saw that. I, I will work on that. Oh, she would go crazy. You guys have a wonderful all, day. All right. Thank you, Thanks, Jasper. Jay, take care. Best to your family. Goodbye. Right. Bye. Wow, Doug. What do you think? So what, what uh, is there any specific story or memory or lesson we can pull out of that that you can think of that we haven't talked about? Well, I, I would certainly uh, echo what uh, Jay was talking about, uh, what Jasper was talking about, which is, um, and, and it's, uh, I'll, I'll tie it together with another Ferran Adria uh, tale. He was, he was fairly famous for, for saying that he, was, he did not consider himself a chef. Um, he he respected others who had taught him and mentored him so much so that they were chefs. He was a cook. But the reason I think he said that as well is because, just as Jasper was explaining, because it still comes back to, you know, Jasper saying, look, I'm still a line cook in my head, man. I'm still trying to bang some stuff out, trying to keep up with everything that's going on and try to do the best best job I can just doing my day-to-day task and trying to be good at that. Um, not you know some exalted uh, chef who's dreaming up stuff that that sounds really fancy, looks really fancy, but really just tastes rather ordinary. One of one of my iterations is I help run a, a program uh, based in New York City called Barf and and Bar Five Day, and and uh, people who who like cocktails probably can relate to this as well. Um, uh, once upon a time, one of the exams uh, in the final exam is make me a cocktail right now and uh, make, some, make it something I've never seen before. And, and people would come up with these crazy concoctions. And so we changed the exam a couple of years ago. I said, and no more than four ingredients. <laughs> because it's like, you know, stop playing BS with me yeah. and, and just make something delicious. Because exactly as Jasper was describing, mm-hmm. and you, you were, you know, uh, suggesting as well, you can take those same ingredients and tweak them and make something new Man. out of these simple ingredients. Yeah. And that's, that's, so if you don't really have confidence what you're doing, sometimes what you do, you'll complicate the process thinking I'll add more ingre- this more secret ingredients that really change things. Yeah. And somehow that makes it different and better when it's like, dude, remember your ingredients yes. are what need to shine. But I mean, it takes a great deal of confidence in yourself to try to make something amazing with just five ingredients. Yeah. It or does. just five or six ingredients. Our sugar cookies are the same way. You know, your basic sugar cookies have the same five ingredients. And the way ours, you know, it's it's we we achieve the quality in our sugar cookies, the the flavor and texture of a shortbread cookie, but softer. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it's because it's you know, when we looked at that's what we thought the the perfect cookie would be, and that's basically through technique, and that's and that's so often for the for all of you listeners out there that cook at home, you know, you're looking at the fancy th- um, recipes and you collect all that stuff, which Jasper and I both used to do. It, it's it's so easy to get caught up in that, you know, that that motion and action is not the same thing as as uh, what's the saying, you know, that don't confuse. Um, Motion with progress. Yeah, bingo. You know, and it's, you have to, and if you're going to make a dish at home, people ask me, what's the secret? I say, okay, just do that one dish. I don't care if it's chicken noodle soup, but obsess over every single detail and do that. And that's that's that, that's where the magic is. And too often, too often we think that Jasper has access to ingredients that none of us can buy. And in truth be told, he probably does not. Right. He's, you know, he, yeah. At the end of the day, it's the way he's uh, respecting the ingredients he has. Now, certainly, yep. um, it, it's also don't cut corners. Right. Don't, you know, think that, well, I know this is probably a little bit stale, but, you know, it's going to be fine anyway. It's like, yeah. no, don't, don't yeah. do that. You know? yeah. well, well, I have people say, well, I followed this recipe, but instead of butter, I used margarine. <laughs> you know, or instead of this, yeah, no I difference did that. There. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, do you have to, and I've told people, I said, take whatever recipe you have, Go out and buy the absolute best quality ingredients you can. Mm-hmm. So um, every once in a while, I'll do a class. I've, do you know what Texas sheet cake is? I do. Okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah. so I do a class. So I bake that using cheap ingredients that most people buy on sale at Price Chopper right. or Value Safe. And then I make the exact same recipe using my ingredients, King Arthur flour, European butter, European cocoa, Madagascar burn vanilla. And they taste it side by side. And they are shocked that it looks different. It tastes different. Everything about it is absolutely amazing. All right, Doug, uh, we got to get ready to close off. That was an extremely fast hour. Cool, yeah. That was fun. I, I, I think it was a good conversation, but the listeners will let me know. Thank you for being here. All right, for all of you people out there, the customers, be sure to come by and see us at Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. We are at 119th in Glenwood and Overland Park. It's two blocks east of Metcalf, across from the Cheesecake Factory, and we're next door to Johnny's. Our hours and menu offerings are up on the website. I'll keep this really, really simple. If you like this show... You need to support my bakery and cafe. It's as simple as that. That's the only way the show is going to continue. Lastly, do not forget that this and all of our past shows are available on all podcast platforms. Just search for Kansas City Food Memories. Doug, that was a lot of fun. Well, thank you. That was, thank um, you, Robert. You know, we, we never know what direction it's going to go. Well, we had and, Jasper. Yep, so and thank you, Chris. Good. Great job in there. And thanks to all of you for listening. See you next Saturday. This concludes this broadcast of Kansas City Food Memory.